Hey, what's going on? This is Marty from the Grass Station Podcast, and today we're talking about herbicides. So first and foremost, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has liked, subscribed, followed us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of those places. We have just hit kind of a new level in the podcast that has taken on uh, some growth, and we're very excited about that. So thank you to all those people. It's, It's shocking that 500 plus people want to listen to me and watch me talk about the grass and and see my grass. Uh, We have several hundred downloads on the episodes. We've got several hundred Facebook followers, all of this. And it's very humbling and exciting to see that level of growth, right? Uh, And with that, we've been focusing on a few different angles with the podcast that have taken on some additional time and effort. The first is that lawn coaching program where I've taken on a few clients in order to uh, work with their lawns and have a few project lawns, if you will. And a few of them are in the city, one of them out here. I've got a couple that I'm working with. And just now we're starting to see some of the results from these project lawns. And I'm very excited about them, right? These, one of them I actually entered into the, the ugliest lawn contest last season. The, the owner doesn't <laughs> actually know about this. So if they're listening, I apologize. But we won that contest, right? It was the ugliest lawn in this group. And then we got a $50 Home Depot gift card. We went, we used it, we bought the product that we needed and spent far more than that, of course. But we we rented that lawn. And right now in the middle of June here with 90 plus degree temperatures, they have the greenest lawn, the nicest lawn on the block. And that's exciting to see that transformation from zero to hero, if you will. And that's really beneficial. This individual learned a lot of the the basic concepts of knowing when to to fertilize and when to mow, how often to irrigate, and they were still struggling. And we needed to find ways to get them through that. And that's what I'm valuable at is finding the ways to succeed, finding the areas of failure and looking to fix them so that we can succeed long term. Now, this went from the ugliest lawn last season to the nicest lawn this season, but it took a year to get there, right? So it's got to be the long game. You got to have patience with it. It's going to look like garbage sometimes. It's going to look fantastic when you put in the right amount of work. And the other area right now that I'm super excited about is that I'm changing up the format a little bit to allow for guest appearances on the show. We've just landed our first guest and I'm super, super excited about this individual that's going to come on and and uh, I, I can't give too much detail about it right now. I'm still pinning down the finer details but as soon as I do, I'm going to release it on all the different platforms on Instagram, on Facebook, Twitter, whatnot. Um, so make sure you're following the channel. Make sure you're staying in tune with us for when that information comes out. We're probably going to have that sometime in mid-July. But like I said, I'm very excited about this. It took a lot of effort and a lot of time to get this. So we have not been able to put out an episode in the last couple of weeks. And for that, I apologize. So you know, we, we try to get out there, get out as much as possible with these podcasts. Um, but if you needed some real time uh, connection with us, we're always available on the Facebook and Instagram, right? You can always see pictures of us, what we're doing. And in my lawn, we're, we're still rolling right now. It's very exciting to see that my irrigation system is working really well. We've got some good stripes going into summer. We've got a really nice, healthy, you know, stand of turf going into the summer here. And that's what I'm really excited about. So um, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at with the podcast and where things are going. But here we are, episode seven, herbicides. So you might be wondering why herbicides comes on at episode seven, not episode like one or two, right? We've all got weeds. Why are we not talking about herbicides sooner? And I have a deep philosophy on what 
herbicides are and how they help us and how they hurt us. I think a lot of people find that they are dependent upon herbicides because they learn which active ingredients will kill certain weeds and then they target the weeds, right? We're always targeting the weeds and I don't want our lawn care programs to target weeds. Our lawn care programs are just that, lawn care. We want to grow grass. We are trying to improve the stand of turf in our lawn, right? We are not actively killing weeds. That's not our job. Our job is to grow grass. So I don't want anybody to lose that vision. That's where we are right now. We are grass growers, right? We need to be farmers. This is our crop. We grow grass. Now, we also need to kill the weeds that come and invade on, on the grass, but there are ways to do that that are not invasive with, with herbicides. Now, there are some people that are absolutely 100% against herbicides, and those that's fine. I'm also now in like garden groups. I've started our first garden here in the backyard. I've got a we've very nice uh, front garden that was initially planted by the builders before we got here. But learning how to maintain that, I've, I've definitely expanded into the garden world a little bit. And I totally understand the hesitation for herbicides. And this is not an episode about using herbicides in your garden. Uh, we'll get into that later because as I'm learning, there are things you can and can't do. But this is primarily focused here on the lawn. And I'm talking about this later on in our program here on episode seven, because I want you to focus on those horticultural practices that are going to make us the most successful with herbicide. A weed can't die. It won't die from herbicide unless it's actively growing. Now, this is one of my, one of my pet peeves, right? So people who have a service, they will call and say, I've got clover, I've got dandelion, I've got this, I've got that. And those people will come out and they'll spray whatever they spray and it'll it'll kill it, but then it'll kill the grass too. And the people call back and like, why'd you kill my grass? They said, well, you, you wanted me to kill the clover and, and I did that. And you know what? These companies are right. But the problem is some of these, these customers, if they're not irrigating properly, if they're not mowing properly or fertilizing properly, you're throwing a chemical at something that can be eradicated, first of all, without the chemical, second of all, with far less effort and less money. You don't need to spend money on a chemical. You don't need to spend money on a service if you just mow the lawn properly. Now let's let's start off small here and, and talk about it like our broadleaf weeds. Broadleaf weed, by the definition of its name, is a broad leaf. And what does it do? It it's, expands its leaves out to the sun so that it can photosynthesize and create the sugars it needs to survive. Now has anybody ever gone out and mowed over their lawn that's full of weeds or whatnot, and then it just seems like it, it just knocks it over a little bit and comes popping right back up after you're done mowing. And, and that's true. It, it happens because one of the things that these, these broadleaf weeds are good at is they have very hardy stalks and they, they'll know you're going to come and hit them with the mower and they'll be able to kind of help themselves by, oh, I got hurt and I, I can re regenerate here by the time he mows again. The biggest and easiest way to prevent broadleaf weeds in your lawn is to mow twice a week, period. So now imagine I'm a dandelion, right? And I'm in your lawn and I need to grow to photosynthesize. I need to send up my stalk in order to photosynthesize. I need to grow faster than the grass, right? Because he's coming with a mower next week and I need to grow faster than that so I can have time to photosynthesize and regenerate before he comes back again. So the weed learns this, right? If I'm the dandelion, I'm learning his schedule. Oh, he does every uh, seven to 10 days. It means I can get whacked pretty good here and be back in about four days, you know, whatever it might be. I'll, I'll learn that if you get consistent with it. And 
it needs to grow faster than the grass for that reason. So a lot of times it'll seem like you just mowed the lawn and then all of a sudden, what I just mowed. What are these weeds doing? They're doing that because they need to survive. They, they need to get their broadleaf up and over the turf canopy so that they can photosynthesize. And that's just what they do. They're very smart. They'll learn your schedule. So if you're mowing twice a week, every three to four days, and I know it sounds crazy to people that don't do this, but like for me, it's normal for, to my family. I've normalized it to them and it takes effort to get there. But mowing twice a week, mowing every three to four days, especially in the heavy growth season is so critical. You're going to save so much money, so much effort on, on tackling weeds by just mowing twice a week. Spend an hour every time you mow. If you do it twice a week, it's two hours a week. Now, I don't do two hours a week. My wife is probably listening to this like, yeah, right, buddy. You don't do two hours a week. But yeah, I run a podcast. I do product reviews. I do, I'm do. i in a unique situation, right? I spend a little bit more time on my lawn than that. But my goal, if I had to, if it was a power mow, right? I got to get out to, to t-ball practice or whatever. It's an hour. I can make it an hour. And you got to have that. You know, sometimes you want to enjoy the mow, right? And that's something you should. You should get out and you should enjoy it on a Saturday, on a Sunday. Don't have anything else going on. Enjoy it, right? But you need to be able to get it done in an hour. If you can't, get a bigger mower or get a better system. Figure it out. So with that, if you're mowing twice a week, then these broadleaf weeds don't have enough time to regenerate, right? I just got hit. Oh, that hurts. I'm going to grow though. I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow. And then, oh, I just got hit again. You know, it's it's not like this, like, oh, I got seven to 10 days. I'll just put a bandaid on it and I'll be fine. You know, no, uh, they don't have the time to regenerate like that. So mowing twice a week is by far your best preventative for weeds. That's for broadleaf weeds. That's for whatever weed you're dealing with. If mowing frequently doesn't eradicate the weeds, you need to have herbicides. So that's going to cover like 90% of people's problems. Most of you can just like check out now, right? Don't do that because there's a lot of good information here, but that's 90% of your weeds. If you have a dandelion problem, that's your problem more frequently. But say you've done that, right? Say you want to prevent dandelions next season. Say you want to kill a flush that came that you couldn't take care of because you were out of town and it happened while you were out of town and you're usually good about mowing more frequently and and this year it got away from you. What do you do, right? You're you're who I'm talking to right now because that is so real. That is the real world. You know, I'm lucky. I'm able to mow when I need to mow. My kids are young. We homeschooled last year, so it's we we've been fortunate to be able to be close to the program. Now, there are circumstances that get away from you that life happens and you can't control that. What happens when you get a flush of dandelions? Well, we're looking for an active ingredient called 2,4-D. 2,4-D, it's a broadleaf weed killer, and it's like dimethyl something or the other. I'll, I'll screw it up if I try to say it. So it's 2,4-D, and it's a broadleaf weed killer. And pretty much any weed control that you're looking for, whether it's from a big box store or you're getting it online, I would I would venture to say like the vast majority of them will kill dandelions. Like they're very, very easy to kill. So that's why I'm starting here, because I don't want people to panic when it's like, early to mid-May, and they're seeing a flush of dandelions. Like, oh, what do I do now? Like, I had a pretty looking lawn, and and I've got this huge flush now. Well, just in that circumstance, you want to do a blanket application of something that has 2,4-D. It'll take like two days for them to wilt, and they'll just kind of fall into themselves, and you just keep mowing, right? If you're not down with the herbicide route, then you can use like a Fisker's garden weeding tool. I have Grandpa's Weed Eater. And it's, it's from Jonathan Green, I think, where you, it's got like two prongs on the side and a little handle that you step down on and pull it forward and pop it up and it gets it by the root. 
same deal with that Fiskars one. You can look online. They've got them all over the place. So um, those are really great tools to kind of get that taproot because the dandelion's got a big taproot, and you want to get the whole thing or else it's going to come back. Now, when thinking about dandelions, there is a way to prevent them. There's a lot of people in the industry that don't agree with this, and and I'll venture to argue with them that a lot of things can be prevented, but not everything, right? Dandelions are one of those things that we can prevent. I'm, I've been very effective at preventing dandelions with mesotrione. Uh, I, I talked pretty deeply about this in for why I chose to use my Scott starter for in the last episode, in the episode on fertilizer, but I, and I did. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but basically if you time your application right with your mesotrione, and that Scott starter for it has it, then it gives you about four to six weeks of prevention, which are you know, like pre-emergent for dandelions and other weeds. The reason we don't typically like this is because it's an expensive herbicide, Tenacity, or Mesotrione is its formal name. Tenacity is the brand name. This is an expensive product, and it's it's a bit overkill, right? Because it's designed to kill, really it was designed to kill bent grass on, green, grass, on uh, greens for golf courses. That's where it started, and then it's now leaked into the DIY world. But it's very effective at preventing dandelions. So just think about that. If that goes down like early to mid-April, then it'll protect you for about six weeks, which that flush typically happens in the first or the second week of May, depending on weather, of course. This May was weird. This April was weird. We had hot and dry weather, so that flush got pushed back a little bit. But that's okay. I was very effective this year at preventing those dandelions. So that's one thing you can do is time your herbicide and your pre-emergent applications accordingly. Do that early. But I also put down a pre-emergent earlier on in the year when temperatures started to reach about 50 degrees soil temperature. So that was helpful too. That doesn't prevent dandelions unless you're using dithiopyr. And in that case, it does have some pre and post-emergent because the dandelions that you see in the early spring are usually the ones that have still kept their taproot. They're not the ones that you see floating around that have a seed, that, you know, and then they replant into your yard and create a new dandelion. These are ones that have been in your yard that you haven't really seen because the roots are there, but the big stalks aren't there because you're cutting them. So that's that's also kind of a, a, a misconception, too, that this is just, you know, they all start to grow that season. That's not the case. That first flush is that healthy, deep taprooted dandelion that didn't get killed last season. And that's when... The second flush happens about two weeks later when those little seeds have gone and, and created new ones and, you know, they've created new plants. So, again, if you time that right, you can prevent a lot of that from happening. And that's what, what I like to do sometimes because I have it. You know, I'm helping a lot of people. I'm always making different herbicide cocktails for people where I'm mixing, doing tank mixes. And, again, I don't recommend anybody do that without the proper education, without the proper knowledge, without reading the labels first. But my point being here is that I have access to it, so it doesn't make sense not to use it because it's so effective. But if I, I'm not buying this for this purpose, basically, is what I'm trying to get at. So don't spend 65 or $70 on an 8-ounce bottle of Tenacity to prevent dandelions. That's not, that's not your strategy. But if you have it, I was battling NimbleWill three-plus years. No, God, it must be five years ago now. Four, probably four years ago. And I still have this bottle of Tenacity. It's about half-filled. I've made multiple, multiple uh, spot spray containers filled with, with it, and I've still got it. I spent $70 four years ago, right? How many of us are spending like 16 bucks on a, like that Bayer Advance from Home Depot, and you use it all in one go, right? You're using an extremely high concentration, or extremely low concentration of this product. It's basically all water, and 
you're using it all into the into the lawn at one time. Not many of us are sitting on like a Bayer Advance, right? Because it takes like 32 ounces per or 20 ounces per ounce per gallon or something like that. So that's that's just a different product. I have this. It works well on other things. So I use it for that. So don't be afraid of the dreaded dandelion. That's basically what I'm getting at. The dandelion is one of them, but we need to figure out how to kill all the others. But now that, that 2,4-D, right? We need to think about kind of a staple herbicide for our program. If we're doing all of these things appropriately, if we're mowing, if we're irrigating, if we're cutting at the right frequency, if we're doing all these things and we're still having problems, then we need to turn to herbicides. And I want to take a step back for a second here and not just talk about like one particular weed like the dandelion, which is important. I mean, that that's kind of a stopping point for a lot of people. They'll They'll look out their window and they'll see this flush of dandelions and they'll think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm failing, right? And that's kind of a big stopping point for people that are new, for the people that don't know lawn care very well for the new homeowner. It can be discouraging, but take solace in the fact that dandelions are really easy to kill, right? They're super easy to kill. Just a little bit of this 2,4-D and they're going to be completely wiped out within a couple of days. So just... Stay the course. Don't panic. The dreaded dandelion is not your enemy. When you do struggle with something and you are trying to find an herbicide to target a more difficult weed, then we need to step back and we need to think about what we're doing with these herbicides. And the core principle that we need to take away from this is that every herbicide that we choose to apply has a label and we need to read the label. So I'm going to walk you through a scenario here. Say, for instance, you were to purchase your home, purchase my home, and a 10,000 square foot lot, and it's completely run over with weeds, and you don't really know what it is. You, you don't really know all of the different species of weeds in there yet. This happens quite a bit, right? We, we move in, and this actually happened to me in my prior property. I moved in, and there was everything. We had creeping charlie wild violet crabgrass was in there we had uh, white clover yellow clover henbit um, wild onion wild strawberry all sorts of stuff everywhere at first when we moved in we're like oh cute they they planted strawberries and our realtor was like no that that's not real <laughs> that's not at a garden bed that's that's, that's just wild I had no idea what I was doing back then. And now to that same person, I would have recommended a product called Speed Zone. And I, this is something that I'm going to just walk people through. I'm going to walk you through the label of what I want people to be thinking about. If you've got a situation like that where you've got a lot of weeds and you don't really know what's going on, but you've got to get it under control. Speed Zone is a great staple to your program. I really like Speed Zone for a lot of my broadleaf weeds. And the reason I like this is so I'll read off the active ingredients here. We've got 2,4-D, and that's at 28%. We've got dicamba, which is in there, and mecoprop P acid, and a carfentrazone ethyl. Right, These things all together make the Speed Zone. Those are the four active ingredients that are in this particular herbicide. One of the things that's really cool in here is that carfentrazone ethyl because it's it plays a critical role in the chlorophyll production, which I'll get into in a little bit. And it talks about it here in the, in the label, but um, really cool to see different modes of action happening at different, at different levels of the herbicide. 
Right, so the broadleaf weeds that are controlled per the label says speed zone will control or suppress the following broadleaf weeds and will control or suppress the broadleaf weeds that are susceptible to 2,4-D. And that gives off probably 30 different types of weeds. There are dandelions listed. We got dog fennel. We got here, wild violet. That's a really important one that I fight, used to fight all the time. It's listed here for chickweed, for clover. Um, what's another good one that people are, are fighting often here? Ground ivy, henbit, um, purple cudweed. Never seen that one. Poison ivy, poison oak. Oh, what's here? This is uh, oxalis, um, yellow wood serol, pepperweed, pigweed, pineapple weed, plantain. That's when we get a lot, plantain. Um, wild violet, we just said that, wild onion, wild mustard, wild lettuce, wild garlic, wild carrot. Wow, white clover does not list it for yellow clover, but it is listed for spurge, thistle. Wow, so um, that's that's pretty much all of our, our broadleaf weeds right there, and that's exciting to see because that's my base weed killer. Now that mesotrion that I like to use, I will add that as a as a spike because that would kill the yellow clover that I'm experiencing and that would kill also any nimble will that I was fighting. Those are important so then I can use it as a blanket spray if I needed to or as a spot spray. Then it goes through, you know, like the precautionary statements, hazards, it's don't get it in your eyes, what to do with first aid, how to clean it up, all that stuff. And the reason we do that is because these people have done their job. They've done their job to get the the regulations passed, to do the testing, do the research here, to know what's safe. And they know that, right? So if you start doing something outside of the label, you're in no man's land. You're in uncharted territory. You can't go back to speed zone and say, hey, you killed my lawn or hey, this didn't work on this particular weed that's labeled here. If you're not following the label, you have no leg to stand on. And it's in uncharted territory. So I don't recommend that you do that. Always follow the label for the label rates. It also goes in to talk about the description. This one's kind of cool. So Speed Zone contains four active ingredients, including carfentrazone ethyl that broadens the spectrum of the weed control. Carfentrazone ethyl is in the aryl triazolone family and inhibits protox, a pivotal enzyme in chlorophyll production. So I was talking about. So that's pretty cool there that it's actually inhibiting a specific enzyme that plays a very important role in the chlorophyll production. Carfentrazone ethyl combinations provide a rapid and effective weed control for common and troublesome weed species and turf grasses. It's things like spurge, uh, dollar weed, dandelion, white clover. Uh, yellow clover is not listed though. Remember that. That's one of the ones I'm fighting this year. Foxtails I fought last year. I'm not seeing so much of that, but quackgrass this year, not listed for that. Uh, also, fast acting happens within hours. So the speed access, the rate of action is specific to speed zone. Injury symptoms are unique features of carfentrazone ethyl combinations. Generally, the injury symptoms can be noticed within hours of the application, and the plant death can happen within 7 to 14 days. So that's pretty cool that it, it only takes 7 to 14 days. Let's see here. Uh, what ground equipment you should be using. It talks about not using a hose end sprayer. That is not really designed for that. As well as being able to use it for 
uh, pump sprayers and backpack sprayers. You're safe to use it there as well. You know, also saying don't overspray this into the garden beds that if it's not the turf, it could harm the plants around it. Of course, you know, we do not want to apply this to any body of water like a lake or a stream or a river. Uh, don't apply to wetlands. Don't apply it through your irrigation system. Do not apply to your drainage system. Uh, turf graft tolerance to, to speed zone may vary depending on the environmental conditions. Uh, cool season and warm season turf grass species may be treated, right? Cool season turf, Kentucky bluegrass, that's what I have. Annual bluegrass, annual ryegrass, perennial ryegrass, tall fescue, the creeping fescues, pretty much all of the cool season turf that you can think of are listed on this label. The only warm season turfs that are listed here are common Bermuda, hybrid Bermuda, and zoysia grass. So take note of that. If you have Bahia grass or centipede grass or St. Augustine grass, this herbicide is not for you. It's not listed here. So that, that to me indicates that it's not safe for those lawns. Of course, if you wanted to bring that up with Speed Zone, if you were excited to use this product, uh, definitely get that clearance. But I don't see it as listed for safe for those grasses. Now, typically I work with people in the north, so that's not a problem. But if you are in the south, make sure that you're, you're working with a Bermuda grass or a zoysia grass. This is not going to help you out if you have St. Augustine. Uh, application schedules, right? So we're looking at early post-emergent applications of speed zone are recommended for annual and perennial weeds. Uh, apply speed zone and broadleaf that are young, actively growing is for the best results. Speed zone combines a contact herbicide with synthetic herbicides and provides little to no residual activity at recommended use rates. So it should be used, could be used as a single broadcast application or as a spot spray application here in the spring, summer, or fall. Obviously, we do not want to apply this product when it's frozen outside. Sequential broadcast applications to follow-up applications of spot spraying are recommended two to six weeks apart for the recommended for or the, that's recommended for more mature weeds for dense infestations make sure that we're doing those follow-up applications so do a broadcast application two to six weeks later we're going to be coming back and doing a spot spray application spot treatments during the summer may be uh, appropriate for sparse infestations as a follow-up treatment anytime broadleaf weeds are susceptible apply to uh, spray to wet do not drench right we want to make sure we hit that weed but we're not soaking it we're not soaking anything else around it we're just hitting that weed to get it wet obviously avoid extreme temperatures i believe here it says environmental conditions as such as temperature moisture soil conditions cultural practices may affect the activity of speed zone and that's where i was talking about being able to 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 call that service of ours to say i've got clover well if your soil's not wet, if you're not irrigating, if that if that weed is not growing, then this will not be effective for you. So it, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. So they'll say, oh, I've, I've got this weed in my lawn and I need you to come and fix it, right? They'll call True Green or they'll call whoever. But they're not irrigating their lawn, so they don't care about how nice the lawn looks. They just care that there's a weed in it. So that's backwards to me, right? We need to grow turf. And in order to grow turf, you need to give it water. And if you're not giving it water, then why do you care that there's weeds in your lawn? I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't know why that's bothersome. If you, if you are okay looking at a crunchy, 
dormant lawn, then then why are you not okay with the weeds, right? Especially in the cool season. I understand in the Bermuda, man, that would drive me crazy. If I've got a dormant Bermuda and it's supposed to be a carpet of brown and I see some green poking up here and there with these broadleaf weeds, absolutely 100% get out there, spray this. It's listed for it. You can do that. But in cool season, if it's like June, July, and you've got a dormant lawn and you're out there looking at some of the clover that's flourishing and you're just like, why does that bother you? You don't care that the lawn looks terrible. You just care that there's weeds in it. So that's not, that's like, I don't know. That's a pet peeve of mine. So moving on. So make sure we're hitting those subsequent subsequent uh, applications every two to six weeks. But then, you know, make sure you're watering your lawn and that these the conditions are right for these herbicides to be effective. And that's what the True Green guys, they're, they want to tell the customer that. They want to say, well, you're not watering. This isn't going to work very well. It's going to kill everything else around it. This is a powerful chemical. But they want to take the 40 bucks from you, right? It's their job. They want to spray. Spray and pray, baby. So I don't hold it against them. I don't think that it's, you know, something that... It's just something that the industry struggles with being able to tell their customers this really isn't what you need right now you actually need to be doing xyz you know especially too they're paying for someone to fertilize their lawn but then what happens if they're not irrigating it it turns dormant it gets crunchy burn it up then there's weeds in there you spray more herbicide on there you burn it up it's just all of these things are just tarnishing the lawn and in the end you just want to grow grass it's not about chasing the symptoms it's not about spraying and praying all the time it's about knowing what's in the lawn it's about knowing what your strategy is and being able to get out there and and work that strategy grow the grass that's your job right grow the grass i'm off my i'm off my soapbox so uh, for newly seeded areas make sure that the uh make sure that it's been mowed at least twice before you apply this product Newly sodded areas, you want to wait at least three to four weeks after sodding. Even still, I would wait longer than that. Grow the grass. Don't worry about the weeds right now. It's when you're when you're seeding, when you're sodding, we're past that point. We're always gonna to want to kill stuff before we seed, before we sod. And whatever comes through when we're seeding and sodding, for me, in my experience, you just let it grow. You have to. You got to get that turf where it needs to be to be healthy enough to take on these herbicides. Because no matter whether or not this label says it's safe for it, yeah, it might be. It might not kill it, but that's not a helping it grow. It's not helping the the lawn around it grow. So when you can avoid it, avoid it. Can you use it? Yes, it's on here. They say you can use it after two weeks or whatever, uh, three to four weeks after sodding. So. I, I just don't recommend it. I don't personally. I, I'm much more the kind of person that says we're in a kill stage and we're in a growth stage, right? In that fall when we're throwing seed down, that's a growth stage. I don't want any herbicides touching my lawn when I'm in a growth stage. If I'm in a kill stage right before that, right, that's end of summer, early fall, kill it, baby. Put it down. Absolutely. 100%. I'm in a kill stage. Let's kill it all. I did this right before we moved out of our property last year actually we um we knew we were going on the market in like february or march of 2020 right 2020 yeah so 2019 was when i was doing this lawn reno my wife's looking at me like why are you renovating the lawn why are you doing I'm, 
And I knew I was going to be listing it sometime in February. So she's like, it's just extra work. But for like multiple weeks before I did my seating and aeration stuff, uh, I had put down tenacity. I had put down speed zone, a couple other things too. And big sections of lawn just dead, right? The, I'd killed off a section of nimble wool. I'd killed off a section of foxtail. And it was just like, why are you doing this? This looks terrible. The whole idea was that we wanted to look good for, you know, uh, for when we list in, in March or, or April of next year. And I told her, I was like, that's why I'm doing this because it's going to look good then. She's like, you're nuts. But man, it was on fire. The day that we had our uh, final walkthrough or whatever or the inspection was, I, I had laid some sweet stripes and that was one of the first things that they said as they walked up was like wow you know and and that just felt good it felt so good knowing that I did all that work and I didn't touch it pretty much with any kind of kill products after that point but I knew it looked terrible and we had to nurse it back to health right that's what you do it's a seasonal thing it's not just right here right now yeah I could have gotten through the season and you know, mowing it nicely and continuing to fertilize it, all of those things. But in the end, I chose to have a nicer looking lawn in the spring and bite the bullet and hurt a little bit there in the fall because I knew that I needed to, right? So understand your strategy, understand what you want, what you need, and then go to the label when you're in those situations. If you've seeded, and you've got something you need to fight. Well, it's right here. It says this application of speed zone to grass seedlings is recommended after the second mowing. So make sure you hit it twice with the mower. All right. As long as it can be mowed twice. That's, so that's about, man, I didn't, I didn't mow for 30 days after I seeded. And then I probably would. So that would have been six weeks for me. Four to five weeks after seeding would be safe for me, according to these instructions. And then three to four weeks after sodding. So that makes sense, right? Still, I just, I don't recommend it. For dormant turf, applications of dormant Bermuda, dormant zoysia grass are suggested. So yeah, like I was saying, if you've got, if you've got one of those, get out there and, and spray it. Do not broadcast apply when air temperatures exceed 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Some injury may be experienced with spot treatments when air temperatures exceed 90 degrees. So we do not want to p- apply this over 90 and you you, absolutely not you don't want to be applying this over 90 i don't apply herbicides over 85 but it's very cool here that it says 90 because most of them will say 85 and then uh how much to use use rates this is the the bread and butter of the label right here so generally the lower application rates within a specified range will provide satisfactory control of selective weed species the higher application rates within the specified range will be required for dense infestations of perennial weeds, adverse extreme environmental conditions for any weeds beyond the appropriate growth stages. So that's saying right there that the lower use rates of what they're about to show is going to target, you know, a not a very dense weed situation, right? So if you are overrun with weeds, you know, that, that new homeowner kind of person, like I was explaining about my situation in my previous property you've got all sorts of things and it's a dense layer of weeds we want to be applying at the higher use rate of this chart that they're going to show us here in a second the maximum application rate is one pound 24d 
equivalent per acre per application per site. So we're not going to hit that. That's an extremely high number, but we're not going to come close to that, especially in our single application. It also says the maximum number of broadcast applications, which what I call blanket spray, uh, per treatment site is two per year. So we cannot blanket spray more than twice a year. That's important to know as well. The maximum seasonal rate of carfentures on ethyl contained in this product is two broadcast applications to the turf grass, and it's 0.062 pounds of carfentures on ethyl per acre per season. The retreatment interval for the sequential broadcast applications of this product on turf grass is two to six weeks, depending upon growth stages of the largest weeds. What does that mean? <laughs> right? So that's saying that that's our interval for sequential broadcast applications, at least two to six weeks, depending upon the growth stages of the weed. So if it's really, 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 really bad and you broadcast applied and you can do this twice a season, it, you can go ahead and do it again two to six weeks later. But that's it. That's all that you can do. That's it. That's it. That's it. You can only spot spray afterwards. You cannot do another broadcast application after you've done two of them. You cannot do that. So that's important. Going down into the table here, it says rate recommendations for sod farmers, ornamental lawns, and turf grass. Right, so Kentucky bluegrass is listed. Uh, other cool season grasses are listed, pretty much all of them, right? We've got bluegrass, ryegrass, perennial ryegrass, tall fescue, and it's going into amounts. I'm looking here, the third column. So amount of product per 1,000 square feet. All right, everyone get your math caps out for just a second. Really easy ones here. 1.1 to 1.8 fluid ounces per 1,000 square feet. I have a 10,000 square foot lot. We're saying this is a very dense, weed-ridden lawn. So we're looking to get that 1.8 ounces per 1,000 square feet, right? Because that's what it said a few minutes ago. It said 1.1 would be the low use rate, 1.8 is the high use rate. We want to use the high use rate. So 1.8 times 10 because right, I have 10,000 square feet, is, is 18. I need 18 ounces per 10,000 square feet, my entire property. I need 18 ounces on my property. And then two to six weeks later, depending on the situation of the weeds, if it's starting to kill them, if it looks okay, we can go on a little bit longer. But if we start to see more, a second application can be done in a, in a blanket spray two to six weeks later, right? So that's 32 ounce total in a matter of two to six weeks, but it's 18 ounces, not 32, 36. So it's 18 ounces, 30, 18 times two is 36, 36 total ounces in two broadcast applications, right? Two to six weeks apart, but it's 18 per application for the entire property. That's a good amount. So um, 18 ounces, what you need. If you're going to spot treat, this is really what I'd recommend. And this is what they say here too. So spot treating would be preferable after you've done that blanket spray going at the high use rate of 1.8 ounces per 1,000 square feet. After you've done that and you've inspected the lawn for where things are dying, you go through and you sift through all that, then you're going to want to come out and you're going to do a spot spray. And it gives you the exact same ratio, right? So it's 1.1 to 1.8 fluid ounces per one gallon per 1,000 square feet. So at that point, you shouldn't have such a, a thick stand of, of weeds that that won't get you pretty much the whole property. That 1.8 ounces, that, that one gallon, and maybe it doesn't. 
And if it doesn't, then you're in a situation you might want to blanket spray again. That's how you want to look at this here. So you want to just spray those weeds until they're wet. Now, you can go ahead and spot spray any time of the season, really. It says apply any time the emerged broadleaf weeds are susceptible. Uh, spray the target weeds thoroughly and wet the entire leaf surface of the undesirable plant. So this is where I talk about, you know, spraying to kill. You want to get it wet, but you don't want to drench the area, right? So for warm season turf grasses, they're just saying to do that same recommended amount of 1.5, to, 0.75 to 1.5 uh, fluid ounces. So if you've got the Bermuda or the Zoysia, it's the same mix rate for, for you guys there at 0.75 to 1.5. It does allow you to add other herbicides with this one. So this is where I've taken note and have been able to add other things. I've been able to spike the herbicide per this label, right? This is my base herbicide. So I'm seeing here speed zone may be tank mixed with other herbicides that are EPA registered for use on turf grass to broaden the weed control spectrum compared to this product alone, right? It says it right on the label. It can be used with other herbicides to help fight off more weeds. These tank mixtures must be used in accordance to the most restrictive label and limitations and precautions. So when you're looking at all the products you're considering, look at the one that's most restrictive. And that's the one you want to follow as well. You have to follow that one if it says a certain dilution rate, if it says a certain mix rate or a certain parameter that can't be met with this one, then don't do it. Don't mix them. You've got to follow the label on all of the products that you're using. And this one specifically is not super rigorous, right? You can, you can add it to your sprayers. There's not a whole lot of restrictions here. So look at the ones that have the most restriction and follow those ones. Be most restrictive first. Follow the label of each companion product, precautionary statements, directions of use, dosage rates, application schedules, etc. Tank mixtures recommendations are for use in the states where they are compatible and they are legal. So this one is just saying if one of them is not listed in your area for being safe, don't use it, right? We want to make sure that we're using products that are approved and that are safe for our area, safe for our grass. Do not apply this product through any type of irrigation system. Do not apply this product immediately before rainfall or irrigation. And here is an important one. This one's actually one of the most important ones you want to look for on all of your herbicides is when is it rain safe, rain fast period. Rainfall or irrigation occurring within three to four hours after application of this product may reduce the effectiveness. So that's telling me you need to keep people off of the lawn for at least three to four hours because it can be rubbed off before it is absorbed by the plant. If it is rain safe, then it is people safe. If it has been absorbed by the plant and is safe then for rainfall, that it will not be less effective by rain, that means that it's not going to get rubbed off by our shoes. <laughs> you know, So um, I don't recommend you guys going out there at, at that four-hour mark. I'd probably give it like a six-hour. If you can do this in the evening so that it has overnight to, to dry out or to whatever, just to make sure that you're not getting it wet, you're not... It's not going to rain. It's not going to irrigate. It's not going to have kids running through it or dogs running through it. You've got to do this in a time frame that makes it safe for the family. And doing that 
making sure that we're allowing ourselves that three to four hour range before we get back out on the lawn. Mowing, uh, this is a good one too. So mowing, you want to delay your mowing one to two days before and after the application of this product. That's important, before and after. So mow the lawn, wait two days, spray the product, wait two more days, then mulch your clippings. I always mulch my clippings because I'm a big believer, first of all, in just reusing all of those clippings as fertilizer. But with these, they've been sprayed the herbicide. So I want that herbicide to get back down there and kind of do a double whammy on hurting whatever else is left. Uh, so make sure that we're not mowing right before and we're not mowing right after. You can reseed this area about two weeks after you've used the application. Then it gets into broadleaf weeds and which ones are controlled. And we talked about that earlier, right? Which ones that 2,4-D, those broadleaf weeds are controlled by. Now, that's a long-winded explanation of what's going on with this particular herbicide. But that's what I want you to be doing with every herbicide that you choose to use. Read the full label. Understand how it affects you, your particular strategy, where you're at in your program, and how you want to use this product. So say, for instance, now you're in a situation where you've used this product. You've done your broadcast application or your blanket spray and now you're still experiencing a few different weeds. Say you're experiencing a weed like wild violet or uh, yellow, yellow clover or um, creeping charlie, right? In these circumstances, you might need something additional to the speed zone. If you're dealing with something like poa trivialis or uh, quack grass or crabgrass, those are a little bit separate right now. And we'll, we can get into them a little bit. Crabgrass actually is pretty easy to kill, and we can talk about that later. But um, right now, if we're, if we're going this route of we've killed the broadleaf weeds, and now we have other things in there that we can't control and we don't know what to do with, how do we attack them? And that's when I would suggest tank mixing with certain other herbicides, like this one says that it can do. Now, I've gone through this label. I've gone through pretty extensively. And now I'm just going to give you a couple pieces of knowledge because this is somewhere that I think most people will benefit from in terms of the mixes that I've used that have been beneficial. Just as a warning, do not do these mixes if you are not comfortable, right? This is something that has worked for me in the past. That is something that I'm very confident with, very comfortable with in doing. But if you are not comfortable working with multiple herbicides, please avoid doing them all together. Keep them separate, follow the labels, do what you're comfortable with. So running through that theme here, the new homeowner, you've been getting your irrigation on point, you've been getting your mowing schedule on point, you've, you've been sharpening your blades, you've been applying your fertilizer, you've been applying now your herbicide, you've done what you've needed to do up to this point, and you're still fighting things. Or let's say you're fighting, now you realize, okay, you killed off the dandelion, you killed off you know, the spurge, you killed off... The thistle, right? The easy ones to kill are gone. They're dead. They're out of your yard. Great. Now what? Now we're fighting some of the difficult ones. Now it's pretty much a monostand of grass, and maybe we've got some wild violet and creeping charlie that's just taking over, right? And why do we have those particular weeds? Wild violet and creeping charlie are such a pain. They're terrible. The reason I had them in my yard previously is because they do really well in shady conditions. They grow rhizomes and they big old you know root system underneath your underneath your lawn you try to pull them they come back twice as rough the next year don't pull them you gotta kill them you gotta kill them with herbicide 
So as we know now, Speed Zone is my main herbicide. I use that pretty much as my staple for all of my applications if I can, unless I'm starting to get into this position where I've already bl blanket sprayed them. And now I can do other things. So I've blanket sprayed already. So that wild violet should be hurt because wild violet is listed here on Speed Zone, which is great. Creeping Charlie is not. So right now when we're looking at this, Wild Violet is targeted on Speed Zone. So Wild Violet should be hurting right now. It really should be. But Creeping Charlie is not listed on here. And now neither is Yellow Foxtail. Or sorry, neither is Yellow Foxtail or Yellow Clover, right? So White Clover is listed here, but Yellow Clover is not. So in this case, I'm going to recommend mixing with your Speed Zone something that has Triclopyr. Now, if you're not comfortable, like I said, don't do this. Do this as a standalone. They sell Triclopyr over the counter. You can get it in a hose end sprayer. You can get it at Home Depot. You can get it all over the place. And it is very effective at targeting the wild violet, the white and yellow clover, as well as the creeping Charlie. So adding that into your mix per its label, right? Whichever product you choose to use, whichever product you choose to get, make sure you're mixing that to its, to its label and adding it here to the speed zone to its label as well. Always make sure you're following the labels. But that particular mix of speed zone and a triclopyr product will be very effective at hurting your creeping Charlie and hurting your wild violet. And in those particular situations, you need to come back. You've got to. Speed Zone tells you to. You've got to come back every two to six weeks. If you don't come back to hit that one, it's going to come back. It's going to build a resistance to it, and I've learned that the hard way. I really had to struggle through my last lawn because I just didn't know that. I didn't, I, you know, I'd look at the label and I'd get the information, but I wasn't thinking about that next piece of the label where it says come back every two to six weeks. I was just looking at a mix rate to think, oh, I got to kill it. This is labeled for it. Go the extra step. Read the label further because if you don't come back with the Wild Violet and the Creeping Charlie with that Triclopyr product, it's going to come back. I've fought it for years. And finally, when I did it right, I lined up my applications right. I did it before um, kind of late summer, early fall multiple applications right before I did a spring seeding and aeration project and it worked great. It worked great. It took multiple seasons to eradicate it completely. But after that first season of doing it right, I was in the right lane. I was doing it the way that it needed to be done. You could see the damage that was happening and I was continuing to suppress it week after week after week. So definitely recommend doing some kind of tank mix there. Like I said, if you're not comfortable, please just please don't do it. Uh, but if you are more advanced, that's kind of a pro tip. One of the things that I've been really successful at in terms of helping people eradicate their difficult to kill weeds. And it's really, it's just that cocktail. It's speed zone with um, some, some a product that has triclopyr in it. Once in a while, I'll add uh, mesotrione to that mix, right? If I'm, if they have nimble will, it's another one that, uh, some of us have fought and that's why I have it because for some reason people in my neighborhood used to get nimble will all the time. So I had that and those three together, man, that was like a cocktail. That was like a, a wonderful recipe to kill pretty much everything that's in your yard. Pretty much everything. 
You know, the the hard to we hard to kill grassy weeds are a whole different ball game. I don't expect people to be really fighting that yet. I I just don't recommend fighting that. You gotta you gotta do that with mowing. You gotta do that with glyphosate. You gotta do that when you're right when you're planning your aeration and or seeding projects. You kind of cut it out if you need to. You get sod. There's there's a lot of other ways. That's not really what I would be using an herbicide for. So unless it's going to be a kill-all product like glyphosate. So that's really a, a good starting point for a lot of people. That's really the basic, right? If you've got dandelions and you need to figure out how to kill a dandelion, find something with 2,4-D, right? That's kind of like basic. They're, you can find them at Home Depot. They're usually mixed up. You can get them with a pump. You don't even have to own a pump sprayer. You can probably get one already pre-mixed for you and just go and hit the dandelions, right? If you're that early into the lawn game that you just need to kill some dandelions and you're a little anxious about that, we'll find something with 2,4-D go spray the lawn, right? But if you're a little bit more adventurous and you, you want to take on your lawn care program, I've kind of given you that structure here to say like, look at your base herbicide, whether you're Northern season or, or Southern season grass types, understand what particular weeds you're targeting and what your base herbicide needs to be to target most of them. For me, that's speed zone. I really love that product. In addition to that, if you're more advanced and you're looking to do some kind of tank mixes to get particular weeds, things like wild violet, creeping charlie, in those situations, you're going to need multiple applications. You're going to need multiple herbicides, multiple modes of action in one particular mix. That gets more advanced. And in that situation, I do recommend you using the, the mix rates that are appropriate per the labels. Get the speed zone, find the triclopyr apply those products. If you have sedges, right? This is another like kind of a sidestep too. But man, there's this great product I used on one of my project lawns, mixed it in with my spot treatment, with my spot spray. I've got a gallon already mixed up of the speed zone and there's a little packet of halosulfuron ethyl, which is sedge hammer. I think is the name of it technically, and it's a little pouch you throw that in there, and man, her entire yard was pretty much all sedge, all nut sedge. And we came in, and we did a renovation, and that was one of the things I couldn't kill before the renovation. It's just not an ideal situation. But earlier on in the spring, we were able to apply this, this sedge hammer with our other weed killers, and it worked out great, right? So... There's options for you based on what particular weeds you're trying to fight. I talked about how you can fight uh, wild violet creeping charlie with triclopyr. We talked about how you can kill pretty much all your broadleaf weeds with 2,4-D. We talked about how you can prevent dandelions with mesotrione, how you can prevent and kill nimblewill with mesotrione as well. And now just recently we talked about the sedge hammer product that can kill your sedges and not kill off your lawn. So that's a really good starting point for a lot of people. If you have specific questions, if you don't know what you're dealing with, um, we're very good here you know, at, at determining some of those things. Facebook groups are very good at that, but they'll also recommend things that, that may not be super great for your lawn. So always check with yourself, always read your labels, understand your situation before you get yourself into a situation that you're applying something that you shouldn't, or that you're over-applying or doing it wrong. So with that, I think we've given you guys a lot to chew on this week, and I just I kind of wanted to make up for you know not being here the last several weeks and, and just remind you, please go on, 
like the channel, subscribe, do what you have to do to stay on top of the channel for when that new information is dropped. I'm looking forward to it. I've got a lot of things coming up here in the near future. We have some sponsorship opportunities happening. We've got interviews that are coming up. We've got more video content coming out. So stay tuned. We have a ton of information coming out this summer. And I'm really excited about you know some of the growth that we've experienced and that we've seen happening over the last several weeks. So thank you to everyone who's done that. If you haven't yet, please like us, subscribe to the channel, stay up to date with everything we've got going on. So with that, take care, stay safe, and until the next one, this is Marty from the Grass Station Podcast. Take care, everybody. The Grass Station Podcast provides weekly updates, tips, product reviews, and coaching on cool season residential lawn programs, helping you save time, effort, and money all season long. Thank you.